You're listening to From the Front Lines, a special podcast from WUFT during the COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast provides daily updates on Florida's response to coronavirus with a particular focus on North Central Florida. In addition to news and important information, From the Front Lines will feature a member of the community who is working to keep the community safe or running during these challenging times. I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, and this is From the Front Lines. Here are the most recent COVID-19 numbers from around the state. Alachua County is reporting its first death related to COVID-19. In total, there are 224 positive cases of coronavirus in Alachua County, according to the latest numbers from the State Department of Health. Positive case numbers in the North Central Florida region include 256 in Clay County, 130 in Marion County, and 92 in Citrus County. Statewide, there are 27,869 positive cases of the coronavirus and a reported 867 deaths. The Alachua County Commission is considering best practices to reopen local businesses. Governor Ron DeSantis this week has been holding multiple meetings with his Reopen Florida Task Force in an effort to get the state's economy back up and running quickly. While commissioners were reticent to move as quickly as the governor, Commissioner Robert Hutchinson outlined a way businesses could possibly reopen. Everything's about phasing and all that. First week, we reopen all the low risk. Second, if things go well, then we reopen the medium risk the next week and then see how we're doing. Hutchinson provided examples of businesses that fit into those categories, with dog groomers being low risk, restaurants being medium risk, and dentists being high risk. The commission expects an outline of a plan from the state by the end of the week. The last day of school for Marion County Public Schools will be June 1st. Originally set for May 28th, Director of Public Relations for Marion County Public Schools Kevin Christian says this new date is to make up for missed school days from Hurricane Dorian and COVID-19. We have to have those minimum hours and minimum days required by both the state and federal government. Christian doesn't see the new end date affecting the district's current start date in the fall. We wrap things up each year by June 30th with the anticipation of school starting about six weeks after that period. The school board's approved calendar has the first day of school on August 12th. All 18 miles of Flagler County's beaches will reopen Wednesday on a limited trial basis pending public compliance. The city of Flagler Beach will reopen its six-mile segment of the beach from 7 to 10 in the morning. The unincorporated areas of the beach, inclusive of Beverly Beach and Marineland, will be open from 7 to 10 in the morning and in the evening from 6 to 8. However, the county's beachfront parks and their parking lots will remain closed for the time being. A few municipalities, including Jacksonville, have opened their beaches this past week to mix public response. Governor DeSantis's Reopen Florida Task Force held its second day of meetings Tuesday, this time bringing forth some ideas on when and how to reopen the state's economy. The task force holds meetings in two groups, a work group meeting in the morning focused on particular industries and an executive committee including state leadership meeting in the afternoon. Tuesday morning's work group talked tourism, recreation, retail, and other economic sectors. Tim Petrillo, CEO of the Restaurant People, was on the call. His company owns 25 restaurants in Florida. The restaurants that seem to be, you know, making out the best, and the best is a, a uh, low barrier, is is the quick service and fast food restaurants because their model is built on that. A lot of restaurants are opened up for to-go, but that really isn't uh, doing, doing much for uh, the business itself. Petrillo says the typical restaurant has about one month of reserves in the bank, but they're for paying employees, so they don't help beef up those reserves. Helpful now, Petrillo told the group, would be a clear idea of a date restaurants can reopen. That date so far has not come down from the governor's office. 
A large portion of Florida's workforce has to wait a bit longer before it gets some financial relief from the downturn caused by the coronavirus outbreak. State officials say they continue to set up a new system that would allow so-called gig workers and other independent contractors to collect $600 federal unemployment checks. While the Florida Department of Economic Opportunity says it's begun sending out the federal supplemental payments to those qualified for unemployment benefits under state rules, the state's troubled unemployment portal is not set up to generate the federal payments. Some studies suggest that gig workers and the self-employed comprise a fifth of the state's workforce. As millions across the country isolate and quarantine amid the COVID-19 pandemic, mental health experts say what is keeping us safe physically is hurting us mentally. A combination of financial struggles and a lack of socialization have led to an uptick in depression symptoms. WUFT's Josh Williams spoke with Dr. Rosa West, a licensed mental health counselor with the University of Florida's Counseling and Wellness Center, about what you can do at home to make sure you take care of yourself. So first of all, tell me, what have you noticed so far when it regards to mental health and people being isolated due to the coronavirus? Uh, yes, yeah, so um, one of the things we've noticed is that isolation and uh, social distancing can cause folks to um, experience sort of negative impact to their mood. And so they may begin to experience increased stress or anxiety uh, because they're cut off from meaningful activities or not able to sort of engage in the things that they would usually engage in to maintain their self-care. Um, being at home and sort of socially distancing can also cause feelings of boredom and isolation, which can also, you know, sort of contribute to, to negative mood. And so we have seen an uptick of that anxiety and some depression for folks as we, you know, experience this social distancing. How do people combat this? So there are a lot of different ways to, you know, kind of tackle it head on. We want to make sure that we're trying to establish, um, you know, a, a healthy balance of well-being. And so we, uh, if we're still, you know, trying to perform our work and do our duties, it can be hard to try to attend a day-to-day -day task and, you know, still be mindful of how you're doing emotionally and mentally. Um, but things we can do are try to find pleasure uh, in day-to-day. -day. And so, again, you may be cut off from things like being able to go to the gym or be able to go to church or sort of engage socially in those kinds of activities. Um, but there are things that you may be able to do at home uh, that can be just as fulfilling or rewarding. So reading a book, uh, watching funny movies, singing songs, taking a relaxing bath, those kinds of things. Um, for others, right, we may... Um, you know, do better when we're focusing on things that we can actually achieve or get accomplished. You know, being able to find things that we can still achieve from day to day, and that could be things around the home, um, you know, projects that we haven't been able to get to, uh, those kinds of things. And then um, lastly, a key piece of, you know, making sure that we're attending to that good, well balance of mental health and uh, emotional health is that social connection. And so, um, you know, with social distancing, there may be limitations in how we can connect physically with others, but uh, there are a lot of virtual ways that we can, you know, connect with our friends, our family, our loved ones, um, and, you know, sort of making sure that you have uh, those connections um, as part of your, um, you know, sort of well-being from day to day is important, and just making sure that we are mitigating some of that anxiety and, again, depression that comes from this experience. For people who perhaps might be isolated on their own, no one else around, how do they really tell the difference between just a little stir crazy and perhaps the onset of depression symptoms? Yeah, um, 
I think that um, it's a little bit more challenging if you are isolating alone because you don't get that external feedback, right, from other cohabitants that may be able to ask you, you know, hey, you're not looking too well, or hey, I'm, you know, kind of concerned, you seem a little bit stressed. And so if we are isolated, um, it's probably more important to just to kind of maintain that self-awareness of checking in with others. Something as simple as, um, you know, daily calls to a family member or friend around particular times, um, you know, that you're kind of scheduling for yourself. And so um, you may ask that friend or family member to just, you know, ask certain questions or just to look in on you. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is that there are professionals, right, that are still available. And so there are a lot of virtual ways that you can reach out for support online and kind of, you know, just assessing if your stress, your worry um, is becoming excessive and maybe reaching a level that can become problematic for you. For people who might be seeking that professional help through a virtual means, how do they start looking for those professionals? Um, so if you are covered by any kind of a health insurance, I, I always encourage folks to kind of start there because your health provider um, may already have, you know, providers in the network, um, you know, that they can connect you to to get that help. Um, if you are, um, you know, in the workplace, sometimes your workplace may have an employee assistance program. And so that can be sometimes a good referral source or place to start with. Um, for students, a lot of times, again, there are counseling centers on campus uh, that are providing that service. And so um, I know for our counseling center, we just ask our students to give us a call. What about for parents of teenage children who they're without school, they can't be with friends? How do they assist their children? Yeah. So um, especially for adolescents, it can be really challenging to not be around friends at such a critical point in their lives when they're trying to establish that sense of belonging and connection. And so um, I encourage two things. One, be mindful that there are things that you can probably do as a family, um, you know, that maybe you weren't able to do before. And so this is an opportunity sometimes that we can capitalize on and maybe being able to do things with the folks that we're cohabitating with that we weren't able to do before because we were spending, you know, more time outside of our home and with our friends. Um, the other thing, you know, to be mindful of is that, again, we can connect virtually. And so um, whether you are, you know, going online with your friends and using things like Google Hangouts um, or, you know, using different features, um, you know, with smartphones as far as FaceTiming and things like that and setting up group chats, uh, there are ways that you can kind of continue to maintain contact in a social way. Um, Netflix viewing parties, you know, with your friends when you're able to, you know, sit in the comfort and safety of your own home and, you know, view films and get that feedback, um, you know, from your peers and from your friends and things like that. Beyond just the isolation aspect right now, people may be going through a lot of anxiety due to fears of the coronavirus. Yes. How do people manage that? Um, I think it's important to first acknowledge that it is normal to be experiencing anxiety, um, especially in times where there's so much uncertainty. How we manage that, I think in the best way, um, is really starting to sit with our thoughts and examine the types of worry or anxiety that we're experiencing. Um, because we may be experiencing real um, worries or hypothetical worries, right? And so a real worry is that I may, you know, sort of contract an illness and get ill. Um, but because I know that's a real worry, there are things that I can do 
uh, in the present moment to maintain my safety. And so I'm washing hands, I'm practicing social distancing, right? Um, but there also are hypothetical worries, things that could possibly happen, um, but that aren't happening right now. And so those may be things like, what if I'm not able to, um, you know, maintain my finances? What if I you know, lose my employment and I'm not able, you know, to make ends meet? Um, those are things that could happen, but may not be happening for you right now. And so if I'm inundated throughout the day with a lot of hypothetical worries, I'm sort of left in this place of feeling helpless and hopeless um, because there's not much I can do with things that really aren't happening uh, yet or haven't happened now. Um, so I think the first step, again, is just to really acknowledge, one, that anxiety is normal. Two, uh, am I experiencing a real anxiousness or a hypothetical anxiousness? And if it's real, act now, because if we can do things in the present moment, uh, we can really start to bring down our level of anxiety. From the Front Lines is a production of the Innovation News Center at the College of Journalism and Communications at the University of Florida. Thank you to our producers, Taylor Levesque, Daniela Mora, Anthony Montalto, Josh Williams, Melissa Fato, and Cameron Lund. Also, thanks to our fellow Florida public media stations for their contributions to this podcast. And a special thank you to Matt Abramson and Craig Lee for their work behind the scenes. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have a story to share with From the Front Lines, please contact WUFT on Facebook or Twitter, or send an email to news at WUFT.org. That's news at WUFT.org. Join us tomorrow for another edition of From the Front Lines. I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, and of 